What I love about Allen County is the way that we come together and we fight for each other, and, um, and I've seen that, and I continue to see that. From the Iola Register, I'm Tim Stauffer. And I'm Richard Lukin. And this is Registered. Today, Register reporter Trevor Hoig, editor Susan Lynn, and I sit down with Lissa Regeer, the CEO of Thrive Allen County, to discuss what she's hearing from Allen County businesses and individuals in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, and what Thrive is doing to help. And just a note, shortly after we spoke with Lissa, Congress approved an additional $484 billion for emergency COVID-19 funding. The deal includes an additional $310 billion for the Small Business Administration's Paycheck Protection Program. The Small Business Administration began reviewing the second round of these applications today. To apply, reach out to an SBA-approved lender. For help finding one, contact Thrive at 620 620- Three six five zero 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 seven. Okay, Lisa. Well, thank you for joining us and for coming out of your <laughs> out of um, my little shell that I'm yes, living in right now. So I don't know how best to describe <laughs> it because that's what the majority of us are living with right now. Um, but I wanted to start just by asking, how has this social distancing and um, you know, this stay-at-home order, how has that affected Thrive? How has that changed how you guys operate? Yeah, um, it's changed a lot because we are a community-based organization. Uh, So for anyone who doesn't know, Thrive is a health, wellness, and economic development organization. And um, so a couple of weeks ago, right before the stay-at-home order was put into place, I did um, have my staff start working remotely um, just to make sure we were modeling the best behavior for our community. Um, and so we set up all the systems we needed to have everyone at home. Um, and then the idea was that myself and my lead care coordinator, Greta Engel, would stay in the office, me upstairs and she downstairs. And uh, then the next day the stay-at-home order came into place, and so I had to tell Greta that she was also going to be working from home. Um, and when you're a care coordinator, that does create a lot of issues. Um, typically, the work we do on the front lines with our community is face-to-face, and um, especially when you're working with people who need assistance with unemployment or health insurance or Medicaid, Medicare, food assistance, utility assistance, you really want to have those, those conversations with them in person and assist them in person, and we just can't do that right now. And so all that's being done over the phone. Um, and so that's been a big challenge, uh, but we've learned through this process and we are continuing to learn through this process. And then um, obviously things like our community conversations that we just gained so much insight into the towns we've been able to meet with so far, those had to be canceled. So last month we missed Carlisle, this month we're missing Moran, Next month, it was supposed to be gas, and that one will probably need to be postponed as well. And so these community insights um, and and conversations have been postponed. And a lot of the work where we need to bring volunteers together or um, where we truly are trying to work within coalitions and groups within communities all has to be done remotely now. So everyone's living on Zoom. Uh, Luckily, we had already been used to living on Zoom for meetings with our statewide coalition and our regional coalitions. But... But yeah, we've had to adjust the same way everyone else has. And I feel like for me, that just means I'm on the phone all day long, every day, uh, to connect with as many people as possible during this time. What are you hearing? Yep. And, and business owners and you know organizations that you guys have spent years working in, in partnership with. Yeah, so uh, what I love about Allen County is the way that we come together and we fight for each other. And um, and I've seen that and I continue to see that. And I think 
We are in, my staff jokes that we're in this voodoo zone uh, where somehow we are protected currently with not having a positive confirmed case of COVID. And it can create this false security. Uh, and so I think um, as a community, we need to be very aware of that. We still need to be protecting each other and, and working with each other. And so where so many communities have seen the biggest impact on their healthcare systems and an overload on healthcare, what we're seeing is the biggest impact on our businesses. Right. Um, and so um, from the beginning, I have uh, been talking with businesses and, and, you know, at the very, very beginning, before we understood what the feds were going to roll out, there was a great amount of stress and anxiety and fear. Um, and I'm not saying any of that has gone away, but it's just, it's felt differently now. Um, I think anyone living through this, this experience, any and every one of us have an extra layer of stress on us right now, because this is something we've never experienced before. And so we're all dealing with that, that extra layer of stress. But when you're talking about being a business owner, um, especially for our restaurant owners, um, where they've had to entirely change the way that they work and how do they keep their staff on and how do, how do they keep their businesses open because this is their livelihood and this is where they've put all of their, their time and their energy and their assets. That stress is it's exacerbated and it's, it's, it's multiplied. And so at the front end, I, that's what I heard a lot of and trying to tr get in the door for different funding opportunities that would pop up. So for instance, um, the first thing we saw in Kansas was the Hire Fund, which is the Hospitality uh, Industry Relief Emergency Fund that the Department of Commerce, um, through our hometown boy, David Toland, so Secretary Toland, was able to create this, this fund very quickly and turn it around so that people who applied within three days had their funding. But the need was... The need was too much. And so um, although we had on the front end 12 of our businesses in Allen County apply, five of them received funding, which is awesome. But we're not talking funding like the feds are able to, to pull down right now. We're talking 15 to 20,000. So those five businesses were able to get in on the front end of that, and then that money was gone. And so they were able across the state to fund, I believe, 346 businesses. And so what I do wanna share with anyone listening is if you haven't applied for the Hire Fund, which is only open to the hospitality industry, so restaurants, bars, um, conference centers, et cetera, Secretary Toland still is encouraging people to apply for that because if they are able to put more money into that fund, it's gonna be on a first come, first served basis. And so you wanna make sure you are in line to receive that funding. Um, and so I encourage people to go onto um, Kansas Commerce's website and, and apply for that. So that was the first bit of funding that really started to come through. The businesses that did get that felt very fortunate because they knew what the how many people were in need of that funding. Um, I will say this too, for everyone that I've talked to, no matter how stressed out they've been, no matter how full of fear and anxiety they are, they are grateful. They're grateful to have somebody to talk to. They are grateful to know that they're not in it alone. And, and they're not, I mean, across the nation, people are dealing with this, but when it's you, it does feel like you're alone. And and that's one of the things early on, I was um, speaking with one of the business owners and it was about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And, um, and all I could do was tell her, no matter what, we're gonna figure something out. Like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. We're gonna, we'll come up with something. There was just this, I felt this mad panic. Yes, at the beginning, yes. Where everybody 
was sharing stuff via social media, mm -hmm. text, email, just throwing everything against the wall, yeah. trying to see what would stick and just making sure that you didn't get left behind. Yeah, yeah. And then I felt that there was this expectation that we've just got to get through this and things will get back to normal. I don't and think there there's never going to be the same normal that we were yeah. at before. There's going to be a new normal. What and do you see on the other side of this? I'm not sure <laughs> yet. Uh, I'm meeting with my uh, economic uh, development advisory committee on Monday, and that is one of the things we're going to discuss. Uh, but um, I see... I see a few things. One of the things that um, I've heard about is even as we reopen, and I, I believe the governor today said that, you know, when she looks at reopening the state, it's not one huge reopen. It is, you know, places like regions that have been impacted differently sure. um, will open at different times. And, um, and one of the things that I've heard before is, you know, we don't have a vaccine right now and there will be new kind of uh, pop-ups of COVID uh, over the next who knows how long. And so when that happens, so say Allen County six months from now gets this insurgence of the disease, we're all going to need to be able to live just as we are right now and be able to social distance and be able to work from home. And so being able as a community to be flexible and to pivot like that and to have processes in place to deal with that, I think is something we all need to be looking at right now. Trevor's going to jump in, sure. <laughs> oh, I was just going to ask, you know, in terms of like the new normal, you know, Thrive is not wholly funded by grants, but largely, right? Yeah. And what I'm, I'm, have this sense that, you know, there's going to be this new focus on public health after mm -hmm. the pandemic. That could be a real boom to Thrive. Talk to me about that. It, yeah. Could there be more money available for the kind of projects that Thrive does, and that could be a good thing that comes out of all this? There can be more money available, and there can be less money available. Um, everything is up in the air. We are, you know, there is the, the public health side of it that, that Thrive is involved with, and there should be more funding for that side. In the first, I think it, maybe it was actually the second phase of the CARES Act when it came out, it did put an emphasis on rural and rural health. Mm -hmm. And so in general, that is beneficial to us as well. Now, when that came through, it didn't say there was additional funding allocated to rural, but it did say that there needs to be a focus on it. Um, and what that could mean for grants that Thrive has already written to the federal government is that maybe those grants will be funded after all, because we don't know right now what happens. We don't know what programs we have written grants for that might be pooled because they needed funding shifted to other areas. And so that landscape is is really unknown right now. So is this driving the conversation toward different healthcare models like expanding Medicaid, yes. universal healthcare? What do you hear on that? Yeah, so I was just on a call earlier today uh, about expanding Medicaid and that wasn't solely the purpose of the call. The call was about a documentary we did um, we were a part of, I should say, excuse me, a last year called um, Critical Condition Stories from the Heartland. And that documentary was done to highlight what happens in states that haven't expanded Medicaid and what that means for people. And so they're looking at, during this COVID crisis, how that lack of expansion has further impacted people in our communities. And so, for instance, I was talking with a woman a couple of weeks ago who called because her job was fine, her husband's job was fine, but her son, who's in his 20s, his hours were completely cut. And so now she's like, I, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, one of the things you need to do is 
contact your legislators and tell them what you're going through right now because there is this misperception that Medicaid is there to enable people instead of assist. Mm -hmm. And what we need is a safety net. And that way when someone falls, they don't splatter, they hit that net and they're able to bounce for a little bit. And then when they get back on their feet, they're ready to go. And right now we don't have that safety net, so they hit and that's it. And if they get sick, how are they going to survive that? And I don't mean like live or die, I mean financially survive that right now because they just lost that safety net. And so that's what we're seeing. And, I, and my hope is that one of the benefits that comes out of such a dark time is that people see things like Medicaid expansion as that safety net and not as an enabling system. And that they understand that it is there for instances like this, when people lose their job, not because they did something wrong, but because the job just can't exist right now. And so we need to be able to assist those people and keep them healthy during this time. That is one of the things I hope comes from this, and that is a, a conversation that's definitely continuing to happen. And one of the ways that people tend to view expansion um, is it doesn't impact them. Like, so they don't want to think about it. It's not something that impacts them. I think pretty much everyone in the community is going to be impacted or have a family member impacted by losing a job, by not having enough money to pay for health insurance. They're, they're going to see issues they never thought they'd see. There are people applying for unemployment that never in their life thought they'd have to apply for unemployment. Mm -hmm. So I think it'll just open up. I'm hoping it opens up people's minds and their views to how these programs are supposed to work. How are we here at an advantage when it comes to dealing with this pandemic and conversely how are we at a, at a disadvantage what obstacles or, or challenges do you see us facing that you know urban areas don't face yeah so many answers uh coming up in my mind to the question you just asked and i'll probably miss half of them uh just for how i work when i try and respond to something um advantages we are not getting hit as hard um, on the healthcare crisis side uh, as people across the country, and in fact, even in the state of Kansas, um, like I said earlier, we don't have, as of this podcast, when we're sitting here in this room right now, we don't have a confirmed case in Allen County. That allows our healthcare systems to put processes in place and procedures in place to better protect and better get ready for when we do get hit, um, when we do have cases uh, come up in our community. Um, it allows us to look at how others around us in other rural areas have done either it's bought us some time. it has bought us time and I think that's the biggest thing it's bought us time I saw someone on Facebook a couple days ago one of our business owners say I've never been more happy to be called a flyover state uh, and I and I appreciated that because I kind of hate that language uh, because I don't believe we're flyover uh, we shouldn't be uh, but when she said that I was like yup understood because there is there's a lot of space and and I um, I used to live in the Twin Cities in Minnesota and my best friends and I have had phone calls during this time, and it's really rough for them because they're in condos and they're they're you know they're all stuck in these little spaces and and they don't get out as much and and you know the Twin Cities have great lakes and they've got all these trails and walking systems, but it's still a densely populated area. And here, even with social distancing, there's not necessarily a lot we have to change because we're spread out, um, which is amazing and wonderful. And and I hope that people here understand how awesome that is, that we are in an area where even when we're told we need to social distance, like most of us live far enough away from each other that that's a pretty easy thing to do. Most of us um, have areas around our 
houses or around our work areas where, where we can get out and we can walk and we're not going to be too close to people. Um, so I think that too is an advantage. The disadvantages. If, when, however you want to term that, we do start having cases pop up, we are at a disadvantage. Rural hospitals are a disadvantage. Uh, we just always have been. When you talk about, um, and I know you had Dr. Wolf on here earlier, full disclosure, uh, related to people in this room and my board chair. Um, and so I think he's probably hit on this already. Rural hospitals don't have the same capacity that urban hospitals have. They don't have the same equipment. They don't they just don't have as much. Even there, we're put at a disadvantage. The sense that we would probably have to ship people further away from home is a disadvantage because that means if someone is sick, you're not necessarily seeing them in our hospital. You're talking about an urban area. Um, and will you even be allowed to be in there and, and how that changes access to those we love. And I think that puts us at a disadvantage. Economically, I think we're at a disadvantage um, because in general, I think it's more difficult for rural businesses. It's harder for them to get that startup funding and get moving. And then what's harder on top of that is we don't, our wages aren't high in, in rural areas compared to urban age areas. They're, what they pay their employees is, is going to be less. And so all of that like builds to mean that they, they're getting hit so hard right now where people are not shopping and people are not buying. And so for them to be able to turn around and open up fully, they're going to need that funding to do that. And they're going to need the support to do that. And I think that, um, you know, and, and since we're not as densely populated, you d you're not going to see that full-blown, like, people going out right away. Plus, people are going to be scared to go out. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to see the people who still don't want to eat in a restaurant or go shopping in a clothing store because they don't want to be that close to people and they don't trust yet that they're going to be safe. Um, so I think we'll see kind of the economic backlash of that. Plus, so many people are ordering online right now, more probably than ever before. And so they're getting used to that. And that was already something that was difficult for our small businesses here in Allen County to combat people going online instead of shopping local. And now when people are like, well, the local stores are kind of shut. Now, some of them are doing a fantastic job of sharing things online. Um, and I love that. But not everybody can do that. They don't all have the capability or the knowledge base to know how to do that. And so I see a struggle bringing people back to shopping our local businesses again when they've, they're starting to get in a routine that they, they can't do that right now. And so that's one of my bigger fears is how do we make sure we combat that? In terms of rural economies and we're trying to figure out ways to boost rural economies if you feel comfortable prognosticating some people have said you know in the future one thing that could come out of all this is people could really start to see the benefit of rural environments and yep. being in a less densely populated area yeah. and thinking wow if this is going to keep coming back again and again maybe rural is the way to go We've yeah. said that for 200 years. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that's, well, and so I am part of a, a kind of awesome small group of rural leaders, about 40 of us, and we've been having some happy hour uh, Zoom meetings on a Friday or Saturday evening, and that's one of the subjects that got brought up, is um, a lot of them are in western areas or kind of more central areas. Uh, 
there are about two of us that represent Southeast Kansas. This was this was what they said is, you know, people should be looking at rural right now. Like we should be advertising rural as the safe place to be, <laughs> as the place where you don't have to change up your lifestyle when the whole world is changing around you. Um, and so there were some jokes that came out of that and some some funny memes about how to advertise our rural communities. But there is some truth to that too, though, Trevor. Um, you know, we joked about it, but but we brought it up because we thought that it was a real thing. Um, and I think, though, it goes back to things that at Thrive we've talked about for years, that do we have what those people who are used to living in an urban area need? Do we have the internet access? Do we have the amenities that they want to see, like the trails, like a dog park? Um, do we have the good school system that they need? What do we have in place already that attracts them back to our community because so that that's really what we need. Only when there's a exactly. We don't want them to just come visit yeah. or stay when there's a pandemic. We want them here for a lifetime and we want their children here and their grandchildren here, um, which, you know, I mean, I look around this room right now and I see some of that um, and that's what we want. And um, it's what happened with my family too. Uh, one of the things about a small town, you've seen the community really pull together. Mm -hmm. What it's, extrapolate on that? Well, um, I, I'll start with Aaron Franklin starting the COVID, the Iola COVID uh, Facebook page. I thought that that was a really nice thing to do on the, on the front end of not having a clue how this pandemic was going to change things. And he was very adamant that this is not a place you come to complain. This is a place you come to share things. And it, it got so big that people were sharing, you know, everything from you know, what funds are available for businesses to what people should do with their kids now that their kids are home from school and how to how to better like activities to do with the kids and and things that they should know about in the community when grocery store hours changed and everything else. And so having people make sure they're sharing information online like that, I think, was one thing. I think about, uh, I want to give a shout out to Jill uh, at the chamber, at the Iola Chamber, because one of the things she's been able to do is take um, all of the information we're getting from Commerce, and Commerce uh, has done a really great job of sending emails upon emails about what we need to know. Being a member-based organization, she has a great distribution list. And so being able to take that, those emails and distribute them mm -hmm. to the community members who need to know what's going on, I think that's been great. I've, just, I've, seen, I've seen people reach out to those who are homebound and just phone calls and what can I get for you? Can I drop off groceries for you? It's funny, I ended up calling someone that early, early on uh, that I wanted to check in on and he got mad and he said, why does everyone think I'm old? I'm not old. <laughs> and I just kind of laughed and I said, I don't think you should think that people think you're old. I think you should realize how many people care about you and want to mm -hmm. check in on you. Mm -hmm. um, but I know that there are so many people in the community right now that are writing letters to people that mm -hmm. are calling people throughout their days that are leaving notes on doors saying, I will mow your lawn, like, because they know that they're, like, these um, older people's children don't live in mm -hmm. our community. So let me mow your lawn for you. Let me pick up groceries for you. Now, the nice thing is we have grocery delivery. And so most of the grocery stuff is getting taken care of um, uh, by delivery options at our grocery stores. But I truly have seen individuals and organizations come together. And I, and I think too, one of the things that's so difficult is it's hard to know how to come together when you're being told you have to stay apart. Yeah, it's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive. Yeah. And um, so 
to figure things out online and to figure out how to do nice things for people. Like the bolus with their, their rocks, like that seems like, you know, somebody would say, oh, you know, that's, that's kind of frou-frou. Like that, that's not necessarily something that's really um, concrete that's making a difference. I say no, uh, it is because what you get are people saying, I want to be a part of something and I want to make something beautiful and I want to be able to say, you know, years down the road, my kids and I did that and we're part of that art like installation basically that is yeah. at the bolus and it by. yeah and you see it and it catches your eye and things like that the bears in the windows that people are putting up my niece niece and nephews and I counted like 180 something bears at one point uh, as we were going all around anything and everything small and big that people and organizations are are doing right now makes a difference phone calls make a difference Talking to someone who's stressed out or alone makes a difference. I was mentioning earlier uh, a business person I was talking to late into the evening and the next day I was talking with her again and she said that the only reason she was able to sleep that night was because we had talked and she finally felt like she wasn't in it on her own. Sometimes people will tell you that. Most of the time they won't and so most of the time you won't understand the incredible positive difference you're making in someone's day solely by reaching out to them. And one of the things that Thrive has been focused on for a couple of years now as part of our strategic plan is social isolation. For the longest time, like that social isolation has been focused on farmers and um, people who are homebound due to health issues. Our whole community is experiencing social isolation now. And my hope is that it creates a form of empathy when we're able to finally move out of this. Uh, for people who have to experience this every single day of their lives because most of us started to have to work from home or spend more time alone just a few weeks ago and within two or three days we were going out of our minds. Think about the depression and the loneliness that people feel who experience this day in and day out. My hope is that we build on that empathy and, and our community is able to come out of this and say okay as a whole community we've been through this and so what are all of the things we've learned from this time about whether you're socially isolated, whether your business has to close during this, how do we bring you back, whatever it is, how do we come back and make a positive impact in those areas? This is going to be, I think, the last question, but I just wanted to ask you what's challenged you the most in all of this, both personally and professionally, in dealing with this pandemic. So I think, hmm, that's a really good question. Um, I think one of the greatest challenges for me is I'm, I'm a helper at heart and you want to help as many people as possible. And one of, and this sounds bad to say, but, um, and I hope you guys understand what I'm trying to say here. One of the pluses for me during this is that I'm doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one calls with businesses and with people who are going through unemployment and trying to understand that process and to feel at all when I connect with them like I've made any kind of positive difference in their day, that I've done anything that alleviates a little bit of stress makes me feel so good and I need that. And um, a lot of times it's not me that gets to do that level of work. It's my care coordinators. For me, that's been a plus. The, the hard part of that is holding on to people's fear and anxiety and stress and sadness because you are hearing it on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And you know, I know when I get off the phone with them, that I still have my job because this is my job is to work with them. They don't have theirs right now or they're afraid they're not going to have theirs right now and I can give them so much information but I don't have a magic wand. I can't fix it. I can just try and make it better and I can try and share as much information as I have and, and set them on the right path and get them to the right resources and the right people. Um, and I think always that that's 
the hardest part of my job and the most stressful is knowing how difficult this experience is for so many people and you're only able to do so much and you have to sit with that and every day when I finally am off the phone, I'm just, I'm emotionally exhausted. And, and I don't say that in, in a bad way, but it is you take people's fears and sadness and, and it does somehow internalize within you as well. Um, and there's no way for that not to happen unless you completely know how to build up walls that, and, or you have no emotions, that you don't feel that. And so I think that's probably been the hardest along with just the unknown. I lead a really awesome organization and, you know, as Trevor mentioned earlier, there's a lot of unknowns in the grant world right now, and it could be a positive, it could be a negative. I already know of a grant that we're gonna, this year, uh, we're gonna not have $25,000 we usually have. That's a hit. And I don't know how else that's going to change over these next few months as, as state funders, our health foundations, et cetera, pivot to address very necessary needs right now. For me as a leader of, of this organization that I love and I love my staff and I want them all taken care of and I know we do great work in the community, I wanna make sure we get to continue to do that. I wanna make sure I'm leading us well and that I've put us in, in a strong position and it's hard for anyone to say that they can do that right now, the strong position part. Um, so we will just continue every day just as everybody else does to learn as much as we can and do whatever we can to assist um, and to bring in the dollars into the community to make sure that people have what they need. Um, and I also want to just offer up, please call us if, if you have questions about your business, if you have questions about unemployment, if you're afraid you're losing your insurance. You know, Thrive covers so many different areas, and I know that gets confusing for people, um, but my staff is so, they're so invested in wanting to help the community and they get so excited to be able to help people. And so I just want people to understand that like we are here to help and give us a call. And if we can't get you the answer right away, we'll figure it out. Thank you, Liz. I appreciate yeah. your time. Thank you, Tim. Registered is produced by the Iola Register. For more episodes, subscribe to Registered wherever you get your podcast. Just search Registered or find us online at iolaregister.com slash registered. To support our work, please consider subscribing to The Register. You can find out more at iolaregister.com slash subscribe. And thank you.